Salutations, this is Cage's Kiss, the ultimate cage cast, where we discuss each of the National Treasure's cinematic masterpieces and his life. We also try to glean whatever kernels of wisdom we can from his character that week. My name is Linda Castro, but you can call me Manchego. And I would be Adrian and uh, call me late for dinner. <laughs> and you can just call me Drunky the fucking Clown. Hi, Donnie. Or Donnie. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> this week we're discussing the dumpster fire that is the Cotton Club. <laughs> oh, oh, my word. So if I could just share a, a little bit about uh, Cage's life and uh, this film as it relates to uh, Cage. In the year of our Lord, um, 1984. <laughs> 1984, yes. Uh, first of all, he went against his agent's advice to do this movie as well as Rumblefish because, of course, his agent was saying, basically, dude, what the fuck? You just changed your name so you wouldn't be perceived as uh, as benefiting from nepotism and you're doing his films, your your uncle Francis Ford Coppola's films. What the hell? But um, and, and it was a weird choice because, I mean, why the hell did he change his name? But then I thought about it and I, I figured, well, if I had an uncle that was a filmmaker, I would leverage the fuck out of that. But, uh, and it sounds like that's what he did, but I, I really don't think that he needed to because, I mean, he's proven that he can get a movie on his own and he's a fine actor, so. Well, yeah, you no, know, no. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, this is, this comes from a strange source, uh, but uh, Gene Simmons actually said something that sort of pertains to that. Do what now? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, okay, so, so uh, Gene Simmons, Kiss, right? Uh, both, both, both uh, Gene, Gene Simmons and, uh, and Paul Stanley there, they're, they're, they're a couple of uh, Eastern European Jewish fellas. Um, you know, in terms of ethnicity, not in terms of like them not being American, which they totally are. Um, but um, uh, Gene Simmons was, was all about image and show business. And when, when Vinnie Vincent was briefly their guitarist in the early 80s, um, Vinnie Vincent is the stage name. The original name was something more Italian sounding. And, um, and the guy's like, why can't I just use my own name? It's like, no, no, that's just how it works. You know, in the, in the entertainment industry, you got to get something non-ethnic sounding. And, and, uh, Vinnie mm -hmm. Vincent's like, well, I don't see what's wrong with my, whatever it was, Italian name. And, and Gene Simmons like, well, you sound like a fruit vendor or something. Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> now, Gene <laughs> Simmons is an asshole. Uh, and not just yeah. because he put out that album. Um. But uh, it's you know it's 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 also that's also an entertainment industry thing you know like uh, the original A Star Is Born you know it's like what's your name Esther Blodgett screw that you're Vicky Lester now yeah or Dirk Diggler or Dirk Diggler because the name's <laughs> just so powerful that's right <laughs> or Chota Boy <laughs> Max Steel <laughs> now uh, on set for this movie Cage nearly destroyed his trailer. Because he was slated for three weeks of work, but Uncle Francis uh, was pretty much just uh, directing on the goddamn fly with this movie. Yeah. And so he made him stay on set in costume and makeup for six months. And in the meantime, Nick Cage had a lot of, uh, of offers for star starring roles, but he had to pass them up because of this goddamn movie. So Do we know yeah, what he was I offered? I destroyed my trailer, too. Uh, unfortunately, a new Beverly Hills Cop, The Terminator, Conan the oh Destroyer. 
<laughs> well, I mean, he was kind of missing out on Conan the Destroyer. Damn right. <laughs> Take it. Was it. The biggest Grab mistake it. of his life. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, when talking about his character, uh, Nick Cage said, "Quote: He's so maniacally up, he's almost in outer space." At times, I felt I had to hold on to my own head to keep it from hitting the ceiling. This guy's an empty balloon with a hell of a lot of unsuspected energy, as mad as they come. End quote. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he even gets a bit in the cotton club where like, <gasps> cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, just a little... Uh, data for the movie uh oh, i've got quite a little it was yeah it was uh made in 1984, 1984. director yeah <laughs> that's what i keep thinking too uh director was uh francis ford coppola and the writers were uh william kennedy francis ford coppola and mario puzzo uh yep. known for uh writing the godfather and known yeah, for being a pretty not good screenwriter in the 70s apparently yeah that's kind of jarring just knowing that the godfather came first and then this piece of shit <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah this is this is uh, the uh this is the uh, uh 12 years later i wish i could do the godfather again aka you know make money yeah, yeah. pretty much the uh budget was uh estimated at 58 million fucking dollars in 1984 and uh, just for comparison's sake, the uh, Racing with the Moon, the budget was, I think, a little over $6.5 million. This was $58 million. That's more than Apocalypse and... now. Yeah. Cab <laughs> Calloway doesn't come cheap. You don't come cheap at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the U.S., it grossed uh, approximately $25,928,721. Or in other words, it sucked shit. It sucked shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I told Linda this on the phone, but yeah. watching this movie, it made me remember a Johnny Cash song, Hurt, where it's like, I want to <laughs> just <laughs> cut myself <laughs> just so I know I can still feel things. Oh, yeah. Well, sometimes I cut myself to see how much it bleeds. It's like adrenaline. Pain is such a sudden rush for me. Yeah. That's Johnny Cash, but right? also... Pain don't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you both know that, I, like, uh, about over three years ago, I was hit by a car you while were. I was walking mm -hmm. across the crosswalk. Yeah. And I, I've, I've endured a lot of pain, just recovering and being able to run again. This last weekend, I uh, successfully trained for a 15K. And uh, I, I am no stranger to pain. I could not watch this motherfucker a whole second way through again. Yeah, I've actually seen this before, much. and it was still really hard sitting it again. Of course, you know, it had been over 10 years since I'd seen it, and memory just kind of compresses it or blocks out things that are completely unnecessary. Yeah. Like scenes in this movie. And Richard Gere's character, Dixie Dwyer, a coronet no. player, becoming George Raft, the movie star, for no reason. Yeah, it's just yeah. other than being Richard Gere. I think we should we should point out though that to the people who are never going to watch this, Nicolas Cage is totally in this. A lot of people are totally in this, but for some reason, Richard Gere's name mm -hmm. is above the title. 
It is a Richard Gere movie, yeah, officially. Yeah. Even though it's called The Cotton Club, and it's about a jazz club in the 1920s where all the performers were black. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my uh, second note, actually, my first note was, oh boy. And then my <laughs> second note was, for a movie called The Cotton Club, there sure are a lot of white people. Although, but, uh, Gregory Hines is totally in it, along with his brother, Maurice. Yes. And uh, we'll get into that, but uh, first let's uh, let's talk about some um, information about this, uh, if you can call it a movie. Well, I've got it, it, I've got I've got so much weird background crap about this one. So do I. Yeah. It was a real dumpster fire on screen and behind. Well, it's also largely it's not even entirely Coppola's fault. Robert Evans pretty much no. got this piece of crap started, who also produced The Godfather, as you may remember from seeing the kids' days in the sixties. Yeah, and during this time, he was basically in a coked-up frenzy. Yeah, even though it was a little while after his bus, too. But, like, uh, the, the most interesting thing about Evan's involvement, you know, who, by the way, also produced Rosemary's Baby and the Marathon Man and used to be really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he actually became embroiled in a murder investigation involving the production of this <laughs> yes! film. Because uh, <laughs> originally promoter uh, Ray Radden was going to be the financial backer because... Uh, Robert Evans had pulled away from Paramount and was doing it outside of the studio system. Um, and he was he was going to be the backer, but he was murdered on May 13th, 1983 uh, on the orders of a Karen Jacobs Greenberger. She was a drug dealer who wanted to be a Hollywood deal maker. And she was busted for conspiracy to murder. Yep, right? she hired her bodyguards to do the killing. Uh, it didn't actually get a conviction until 91. Uh, the conviction mm -hmm. came about partly because her bodyguards were idiots and bragged about having done the murder to friends of Larry Flint. <sighs> First mistake, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, real murder, real organized crime, and that's all in the background. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny mentioning Larry Flint with a little bit of a porn connection, because, and I know this is going to make me sound like a wonderful person, you are. but there is a golden era porn flick which i own all right called trashy lady Great title. that thing is more 1920s than this thing could ever be in a 139 minute runtime <laughs> and that's sad well the tragedy the dialogue was better i think the tragedy of this movie um is is that as it is it is it is such it's such a high gloss production. It like like for the for the early nineteen eighties historical films, like you couldn't want like a better looking period movie. Yeah, you know? and the performers are immensely talented. Like yeah, no, he, he assembled what is largely an amazing cast and Richard Gere. Um, <laughs> it got it, it, it's it, it, it's good photography. He's got John Barry, formerly of the James Bond movies, doing the score, and it comes off pretty yeah, well. Yeah. You got all mm -hmm. all this all this stuff. And, and and there's no cohesion at all. Like apart, if you if you no. watch the movie without sound, you might think it was fine. You know, if you kind of were doing something yeah. else at the time. But I mean, it also just feels like they went to Mario Puzo, like, hey, we got this idea, we want you to pin it. He's like, okay, here's what I'm asking for you to give me to write your script. It's like, well, we don't have that kind of money. It's like, oh, well, then you get discount Godfather. Fuck you. <laughs> Well, actually, Robert Evans uh, wanted to make the movie as a sort of love letter to the Cotton Club, the actual Cotton Club, and he managed to raise $8 million, but he couldn't fix the problems with Mario Puzo's script. 
and, uh, and in fact, uh, in the kid stays in the picture, he described the whole thing as, uh, quote, a chaotic, coked up nightmare. Yeah. End quote. Yeah. That makes total sense. Well, yeah. Puzo, yeah. if you look at the other movies he wrote besides The Godfather, they are terrible. He wrote Earthquake, yeah. which, you know, despite mm-hmm. being the delightful oh, 70s God, disaster yeah. movie, is also shit. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and he worked on on uh, the Superman movies with two other writers, you know, and it just like it, it, if you if you see like other like TV movies and stuff adapted from his stuff, it's like oh that's shit too. Look, The Last Dawn, like this is a boring miniseries. <laughs> yeah, like, like when, when when you think about it, like The Godfather's good because Robert Evans was relentless and not on cocaine, and you know Francis Coppola was still good. It, right. it really had little <laughs> to do with Puzo. Well, and uh, at this time, uh, Robert Evans was also having problems with Richard Gere. Yeah, who a lot of them apparently in the, Yeah, right? He's just an asshole. He, um, yeah, who apparently insisted on exhibiting his uh, wonderful cornet-playing talents. Yeah, he made him include that. And Yeah, even though the Cotton Club did not have any fucking white performers. It, yeah, it doesn't make any sense that a white coronet player, who, by the way, never performs at the Cotton Club in the whole film, is the focus. I was going to say, on top no. of that, even when he plays, he's not playing the fucking instrument. He barely moves at all while he's playing the fucking thing. But that is him playing. I mean, you know, uh, to give him credit, he, he does seem at least decent at it, but... Yeah, but not, not, I, not, uh, not as good as, as uh, James Remar and, and the others seem to think. Yeah. yeah right. Well, and also, I, I think that it, 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 a lot of it is Robert Evans's fault because he should never have made that fucking promise to begin with. And uh, apparently, he approached um, uh, Al Pacino. Um, no, it wasn't Al Pacino. Please hold. Oh, well, while you do that, I'm going to endorse myself. And the only way I could oh, to get through that movie. Yeah. Um, oh, here we go. No, it was Al Pacino. He he originally approached Al Pacino, supposedly, to play Dixie, but uh, Pacino said that it was too close to The Godfather. And then, Furthermore, uh, I look entirely too Irish. <laughs> no, this is... <laughs> it, allegedly. Yeah. He, uh... Uh, Sylvester Stallone was slated to play the part. Uh, hell, I would have watched. That. Allegedly, he backed out when he found out that Evans was sleeping with his then. Yeah, girlfriend. I saw that too. I saw that too. Yeah. I was hoping yeah. you were gonna say he was allegedly backed out of it because he wanted to save that performance for "Stop or My Mom Will Shoot." Uh, oh, are we forgetting <laughs> Rhinestone? Nobody remembers Rhinestone. I remember Rhinestone. <laughs> Uh, I also remember members. him punching a ghoulie in the shower of a hotel room. Who hasn't done that? <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Robert Evans approached Francis Ford Coppola with um, for help with some metaphor of uh, helping him save his baby. Yeah. And uh, Coppola said that he would help him uh, fix a script and his actor problems for a week or so. However, once he read the script and he saw what a shitfire that was, <laughs> he realized that there was no way in hell it was going to be fixed within a week. So they eventually hired the Pulitzer Prize-winning author William Kennedy to do a quick treatment on the script. Who wrote twenty drafts? But um, 
Yeah, I wrote 20 drafts of the script. And between Kennedy and Coppola, they ended up with... 39 scripts for the movie because it was constantly fucking Which they changing even while they were set fire to all of them and just started fresh because the whole concept was garbage. They didn't have anything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Evans, but, uh, yeah, Evan, Evans was, 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 was all ambitious to, to make his name again as a Hollywood, you know, force outside of the Paramount studio system because he just left them. And Paramount at one point actually uh, uh, offered to come along, you know, and and like and like give them completion funds and distribute like a pretty a pretty fair deal. And, and Evans is like, no, <laughs> I'm done with you. <laughs> and Coppola, of course, he's desperate to recoup losses from one from the heart, you know, because Zoetrope was in trouble from yeah. a couple of bombs, including Rumblefish. Rusty James. Rusty James. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Rusty James. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would take Rusty James over this shit any fucking day. Any day. I'd like to say a moment yeah. about uh, Richard Gere, too, that this is actually a sort of a pivotal moment in uh, Richard Gere's career, and that this is actually, um, this is the lead into the 80s being very dark days for him in terms of his movies, doing well or not. Um, because before this, he'd done An Officer and a Gentleman, which was profitable, and he'd mm. done that yeah. crappy remake of uh, Breathless which was not good, but profitable. But mm. uh, this bombed, and then after this, he did Bruce Beresford, Beresford's King David, which no one has ever heard of, because it sucked shit. I have. And yeah, they, they didn't do a movie that made money again until 89, when, when he did uh, Mike Figgis' Internal Affairs with Andy Garcia, which was actually good. And for this mm. movie, Richard Gere was paid $3 million, plus... Yeah, yeah, plus $125,000 for every week that went over the contracted end date, which was October 30th, 1983. It's a damn parrot. Parrot up his ass. Yeah, right up it. John Waters statues. Well, that's how you know that they're related, right. that they're brothers. Sorry, according to According to Coppola, uh, Evans kept asking him to direct the film, but he told him, he told uh, Evans that if he were to direct it, he would want complete control over the movie, which he took. And in doing so, he fired five of Evans's production crew. Some of them required pretty large payoffs. He fired the music director, Jerry Wexler, and hired someone who had to be flown in from his work in Switzerland. Ooh. And he constantly argued with Evans and walked off the set multiple times. And then later banned Evans. Which... Yeah, well, it, it all resulted in uh, Evans taking Coppola, Orion Pictures, and the financiers, Edward and Fred du Dumani, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, to, he took them to court, and which, uh, yeah, he, he, he filed a lawsuit against them, which resulted in Evans getting a flat fee and production credit in exchange for giving all creative control over to Coppola. And bum, bum, bum. <laughs> while editing... Coppola was afraid that this lawsuit might result in the injunction to seize the film, so he hid the print. <laughs> so, yeah. He hid it in Richard Gere. <laughs> yeah. In my ass, the one place I knew they wouldn't find it. <laughs> you, you know, like, I, I've noticed a pattern in every one of our episodes. We talk about actors, like, acting by putting something up their ass. <laughs> Well, that's, that's, the only, 
that's just how you get Richard Gear started. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty woman, I'm you know, no they were having a before noon or without a gerbil in my ass. If <laughs> <laughs> you turn the sound up loud enough, you can hear the little wheels squeaking up there. But yeah, that's that's all I've got. Okay, for I, I've got some more, a couple more things. Um, Hit us. So, uh, uh, what, one good point is that we actually have Gregory Hines and his real life brother Maurice <laughs> Hines, who was forty one at the time. Um, and uh, their relationship in the film is is actually supposed to sort of mirror their real life relationship. Back when they were kids, they actually did perform on stage together, numbers like 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 the ones we see in the film. Um, and uh, Maurice, uh, during his career, he mostly focused on Broadway. Um, and uh, this is Gregory Hines's fifth film. This is Maurice Hines's first film. Maurice never did quite so many movies because he's just not Gregory Hines. I'm sorry. Uh, Maurice is still mm -hmm. alive. Gregory Hines died of liver cancer and became immortal. <laughs> yeah. That too. Oh, we're getting into it now. <laughs> uh, we caught something on EVP. Uh, so, uh, today's movie uh, premiered fourth at the box office uh, behind Beverly Hills Cop, uh, David Lynch's Dune, and, uh, wow. and, oh, shit. and fucking, uh, uh, speaking of crap, 2010, the year we made Contact. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I know. Right? We explain everything that was too deep for you. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like oh. you know how the first movie was interesting. We're gonna turn it all boring. Yeah. Um, the cinematographer was uh, South African Stephen Goldblatt, uh, who had shot uh, Tony Scott's amazing The Hunger, which is like one of the best looking movies ever. Hey. Um, and uh, for Peter Hyams, he shot Outland with Sean Connery. Uh, and uh, after this, uh, he shot uh, the young Sherlock Holmes and the first two Ooh. Lethal Weapon films, and then, unfortunately, uh, both of Joel Schumacher's Batman movies. Oof. Damn. Yeah. Um, wow. This, this movie... Uh, oh, sorry, Donald, what was that? No, go ahead, okay. please. <laughs> uh, th this movie has one of my favorite character actors in it. It's got uh, James Remar as uh, Dutch Schultz. Yes, who is yeah. always wonderful. Uh, he was uh, earlier than this. Uh, he was uh, he was a, a staple in Walter Hill's films. Um, he was in Forty Eight Hours, and uh, he plays Ajax in The Warriors, which is like the most classic movie ever. Well, yeah, because you guys have all Wasn't just gone he also back. later on with. Uh... Jean-Claude Van Damme and that uh god what the fuck was that fighting yeah, movie Yeah I think he was in one of those um he the also quest. um yes he's in the quest and uh he's yeah. actually the actor who had the unfortunate honor of replacing Christopher Lambert in the sequel to Mortal Kombat Yeah like, <laughs> oh my god I feel, that's right I, I felt so bad for him it's like oh fuck oh. it wasn't your fault James Remar I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> Um and actually he was originally cast as Hicks in Aliens Oh Jesus! Oh. Yeah, and he—he—they actually huh. started shooting the movie with him. In some of the scenes where the aliens are attacking, the back that you see for Hicks is not uh, Michael Bain; it's it's James Remar. But James Remar wow. backed out of that film, I think partly because hmm. James Cameron is the biggest asshole ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so Michael out. Bain's all like, "Aha! I got a film role off of you." It's like, "Haha, Michael Bain, you were second choice." 
<laughs> You'll always be second choice. Uh, James Remar was also in Drugstore Cowboy uh, with Rusty James. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was in the Billy Zane the Phantom, which I only ever refer to as Slam <laughs> Evil. <laughs> and he too is immortal. Hey. Um, that's uh, that's my friend Billy Zane you're talking about. That's right. About. <laughs> and uh, as Nicolas Cage's wife in this film, we get Jennifer Grey, who is yeah, doing baby. research for her later shitty dance movie, Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> but well, it also has Fred Gwynn. It does have Fred Gwynn I... of Car 54, Where Are You, and Monsters, yeah. <laughs> No, none of that and matters. None of those people matter. Who matters what? most is Bob Hoskins. Damn okay, right. he had fucking Mario Mario in this yes. movie. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Good game. What, no, when when the camera's game. on yeah. Bob Hoskins, everything's fine. Shit. Exactly. Yes. Oh, I fucking yeah, love. Yeah, he kind of put me in my happy place, my like safe space. I know you get a little you get a little faked out for a while there. You keep forgetting you're watching the Cotton yeah. Club. Well, that's just, that's what's bad. This movie was so fucking all over the place. It had so many different stories yeah, going it's, it's on where it's like movie. the least interesting story was Richard Gere's story. It's like, it's we like Mike Nelson said about, uh, about the Screaming Skull. It's like, it's not a real movie. It's made from real movie yeah. parts. Exactly. Exactly. Well, before we start like talking about uh, our notes on the movie, I would like to point out that it also has Tom Waits. Again. I was just about to mention, yeah, Tom Waits True. looking way the hell different than he did in Rumblefish. By the way, yeah, no shit. He looks good. He's got his, yeah, he he's got his hair slicked back. It's like, yeah, everybody liked you, kid. <laughs> Are you and, suggesting um, that he looks anything else any other time other than good? I mean, I guess now he looks really fucking well, decrepit. When, 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 I, when I saw him tonight on the downtown train. <laughs> <laughs> Rotting in the corner. <laughs> but, uh, Donnie, never besmirch my man Fred Gwynn, because sometimes dead is better. <laughs> well, he can agree with that now. <laughs> they say the path to a man's hardest, don't Nobody you? watches that movie no more. Jesus Christ. Uh, but also, little known fact, this movie has Jack A as a dancer. You you mentioned that and I still don't know who that is. I'm sorry. Yeah. But you know who else it has as a fucking dancer? It's got Mario Van Peebles. That's true. What? Yeah, Mario true. Van Peebles is on the one. It, it, when 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 yeah. uh, when uh Holy crap. Yeah, when when uh fucking um Gregory Hines uh, runs back into the Cotton Club asking that girl her name. It's it's Marie Van Peebles in the middle of the stage there being like the Cotton Club girl. <laughs> and then yes. later you get the, the scene where he's dancing and he's ripped huh. as fuck in this thing too. Mm. Mario Van Peebles, whose first film appearance, by the way, was in uh, Melvin Van Peebles' 1971 Sweet Sweetback's Badass song. He's the 12 year old <laughs> who hops on top yep. of of the heavy uh, lady uh, and starts having sex with her and transforms into adult Sweetback, his father Melvin. As you yeah, it does which say is that loosely inspired, we'll say, by Petey Wheatstraw. <laughs> oh, much love for Dolomite. <laughs> what has he had? <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, uh, we mentioned Tom Waits, who, who was a Coppola staple yeah. at this time. Another Coppola staple who was in this is Larry Fishburne. Yeah. He's yes. playing Although, a character. Like, he was so much better than this fucking movie. Oh, he's movie. better like, than a lot of, yeah. He's, he's, Larry Fishburne's slumming it in a lot of his films. Um, 
this movie did him so dirty because his character didn't even need to be in this. But the no, interesting point about no. his character, though, is his character is a fictionalized version of the actual guy that the movie Hoodlum was based on, which also starred Larry Fishburne. Right. Hmm. Well, um, and is better than this movie. Before I forget, Jack A. was <laughs> in Two Two Seven, and she was also in Ladybugs and Sister Sister. Come on. Oh, you know Jack A. Oh, oh don't you, don't you oh, open your mouth uh, and talk an, shit on Jack Another Jack person a who we also saw in 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 Rusty James um, is that we've got <laughs> Diane Lane back. Um, Diane Lane, who uh, who later did Lady Beware, where a stalker wants to fuck her because she makes sexy window displays at a department store. Well, I mean, you know, mannequin's kind of the same, I guess. Hey, hey, don't you diss mannequin like that. I, I'm not going to diss <laughs> mannequin. going to stop us now. <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ. Uh, and back onto Walter Hill, uh, Diane Lane was also in Streets of Fire with Michael Perret, mm. which was another enormous box office bomb. Wow. Yeah. Bum, bum, this movie also is continuing another wonderful theme I've noticed in these movies, where it's romantic to slap and beat the shit out of a woman to get her to realize how much she wants to fuck you. Yeah. Uh, uh, Adrian, are you finished with your... No, no. This, look, this thing had a cast okay. of thousands, so you, you should be... I really wanted to go into that, too. Okay, yes. I to totally acknowledged. Great theme. Great, great theme that continues from Racing with the Moon. And, yeah. and Rusty James, yeah. and Valley Girl, and Valley and, Girl, and the best of times. And Valley Girl. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't heard these episodes, yeah, viewers, they did uh, kind of beat the shit out of that girl helping with the band, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just found a moving company, Diane Lane, that isn't even pertinent to. <laughs> well, not only does he smack her, but they all applaud, and like, yeah. and and he's like. Flinging her around, and it's like, oh, this is a dance move. Yeah, it's like when Bugs Bunny dances. Yeah, right. well, that's what cracked me up was when the couple was like started play slapping each other. <laughs> like, this is not your mom and dad play fighting, you fuckers. And then she rewards him by sleeping with him almost immediately after that. Well, no, that, yeah, well I think she... that's the, that's that's the lesson here is that with Diane Lane's character, you got to be more like Dutch Schultz. And uh, and yeah. kill a guy in front mm. of her, uh, and that and then and then the motor gets running. Yeah, and like, give her a, a club. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't you but, know um, I love you, you ditzy bitch. <laughs> 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 you wore that stupid hair Please hat thing. One for me, <laughs> ladies, if I might, if a guy smacks Actually, you out in public. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah. unless it's consensual and you're really into that, uh, it's probably time to Just leave. say no like she said in the movie and then, like, actually not have sex with him, unlike in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. You, you might want to press from charges. That, from she that did scene at least mention this yeah, yes, when yeah. they were having their scene. Kinda, She's like, fuck you, I'm not going to kiss you. You beat the shit out of me. <laughs> but they still fuck. And, and he's like, kiss he's you, like but I'm with your you. gear. Come on, I get the stash. You know you want it. <laughs> yeah. so, come well, on, I got the dribble in my ass. I'm ready to go. Come on, let's do this. That stash <laughs> does not again, feature his face well. 
Just like <laughs> Withering Heights, the two love interests are just the worst fucking assholes. He's like, I, I don't want either of them to find happiness. Fuck no. both of them. But uh, in that in that scene, which is which is uh, about about two fifths of the way through this lumbering shit pile of a long ass movie, um, uh, the the character who intervenes, Saul, is portrayed by Julian Beck, who you may remember yeah. as the villain in Poltergeist Two: The Other Side. Um, oh, yes. who dropped dead like the following year, by the way. Um, mm. But uh, you, you don't sit in the, in the scene of the club. They're like, Saul, knock it off. You're going to have a heart attack. <laughs> oh. I love Julian Beck in this, by the way. He, he's so so great. He's like, it's like, you didn't have a mother? It's like, they found me in a garbage pail. I used to race rats. I believed it. Right? No, it was so, I no, totally you, forgot that he was in Poltergeist. Yeah, that was like, him. It's like, God is I in thought he looked familiar. his holy temple. <laughs> and he was also in season one, uh, episode one of season two of Miami Vice, the two-part uh, uh, episode, um, The Prodigal Son. Uh, in oh. that one, he plays the banker who is basically responsible for drug traffic in the United States. He's essentially a supervillain. <laughs> <laughs> he, gets to, he gets to chew the scenery for one scene there. Oh, he was wonderful. Oh, okay. I uh, that's that's everything just, for my yeah. trivia, by the way. I think that was it. That was a well. Yeah. Got the rest of it. Let's dig into this shit. Okay, well, There's uh, just uh, uh, so okay. much that doesn't make it's, sense. It's, it's a real. It's a yeah. yeah a lot of it does. Yeah, okay, so so there. We should point out that there's two romances that are sort of supposed to parallel one another. There's Richard Gere. Trying to ball Diane right. Lane, who's also balling uh, Dutch Schultz, played by James Remar, a murderous gangster yeah. who really, really violently stabs a guy to death on screen, and it's like, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> and then it was more than concerned. They lost the meat table. Bob Hoskins had a great line. It's like, it's like, I should tear out your brain and pickle it. <laughs> You're the craziest <laughs> son of a bitch I've ever known. That's right. <laughs> Um, there well, a couple of great lines uh, from there. Uh, one one mm -hmm. of which is earlier in that same segment where Bob Hoskins is like, "Shake fucking hands," <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, there's the there's the part where uh, where uh, where fucking um, uh, Gregory Hines is is uh, the, the the guy chops the cabbage in half next to Gregory Hines' head, and and, right. and, uh, and uh, the, the lady uh, Gregory Hines's uh, love interest who's passing for white, she breaks a bottle over the guy's head. And he turns around and yells, "Get out of my ass, woman!" <laughs> <laughs> if I had a dime for every time I said that, <laughs> well, you know, I, I know we were talking about it earlier, and I, I've got to say that this movie suffered from way too many goddamn storylines. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it doesn't it doesn't balance them well. There's sort of a way to do that ensemble no. thing, but they they didn't, wouldn't admit to the fact that it was one. Because Richard Gere is still no. the focus for no reason. Yeah, well, exactly. I think it would have been fine if it was like a series, a mini series, yeah. or you know, whatever. But they didn't develop any of these stories or characters long enough for you to give a shit about anybody or anything. Well, here's, going the, here's on. the thing, though. Like, yeah. like I mentioned, the parallel romances, like Gre Gregory Hines becoming obsessed with the female performer at the Cotton Club, mm -hmm. uh, who who is passing for white, or who can pass for white rather. I mean, they only have allow black mm -hmm. performers at the Cotton Club, so she's not passing at that time, but she passes afterwards. Yeah. Um. Uh. That that's that's that that's the other romance. Um. And and they made it less interesting, which is really bullshit. Um. Yeah. She yeah. keeps referring to having a private life, and I don't 
think that was ever fleshed out in the film. No. Like, like, and and you know, he's no, he's also you know out. he's also really on her, kind of like kind of like uh, Cage on Lane, even though uh, a little less disturbingly. Um. This this is actually I I, I mentioned this uh I mentioned this when we were talking about uh when we were talking about Elizabeth McGovern on the last one when we were, when we were talking about uh, Racing with the Moon. Is that uh, uh, in 1981 there was Milos Forman's Ragtime, which actually is kind of like a more successful version of what this was trying trying to do, because that one it's also it's also very very historical immersive epic film. It's actually longer than this, but doesn't feel it. And in that one, the the racism and the injustice and the trying to obtain justice is the actual focus of the film, even though there are also white characters. Yeah. Yeah, like that's the actual core of that movie. Whereas in this one, that is definitely avoided. That's it, it's 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 the race stuff exactly. is all window dressing. And I mean, we can get into this later when we um, go into our face-off segment uh, and talk about improving the movie. But really, honestly, if they would have just focused on Gregory Hines's character, his brother, uh, and um, forgive me, I'm forgetting her name, the uh, the woman he's interested yeah. in. If they would have like stuck with her story of of playing both the black and white lines, you know, and and what she had to do to get along in in her life at that time and to make it as a performer, and focused on their uh, the the Heinz brothers' relationship and you know have the the actual fucking Cotton Club as part of the story. This would have been a much better movie. So basically what I'm saying is, unfortunately, it means dropping Cage's character, but just yeah. drop the story with all the white people, and you yeah. actually have a decent movie. Well, if it had been made, well, uh, you know, yeah. like, like like maybe even as little as five years before, the focus might have been different. I mean, like, in the 70s, you right. get stuff like, you get the movie where, uh, where freaking Billy D. Williams uh, plays um, Scott Joplin. You know, like you, 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 you got to have you know epics, you know, about about uh, black historical personages and stuff. You know, at that time, whereas yeah, in the but 80s, even less of a thing. So. Yeah, <laughs> well, even that getting away from just that itself, because that's kind of like playing Captain Hindsight as well. well it's yeah. like they could have fleshed out so much more of this, but it just seemed like it's what happens well, when you take three when you take three puzzles and then you just dump them on the floor and then you're like put this together and make something out of it. It's like that's what this all felt like because it's more it's mm. sad when you don't give a shit for the main storyline but you care more about the side storylines which don't get any presence except uh hey, remember these people? They're still involved in this. It's like the yeah. quarrel with the brothers with uh Hines and his girlfriend slash I want to marry My your love. wife. It's like all that stuff would have been vastly more interested if it was played out more. Even when he's like, yeah. fuck this, I've had it, I want to kill this guy. They never go into that any further than just, well, this happens, so I'm out. just gonna <laughs> dance him to death. And even then, like Cage's like Cage's character, they barely use the fucker, even, even like expanding his story until he cracks. Yeah. It's like once he cracks, then it's like, okay, now we're gonna do a quick montage, the worst kind of mm -hmm. fucking montage of showing his rise and then oh yeah we're just gonna fucking kill him off because that's what happens when you Frankly, fuck the with the people that's part of the movie though yeah, <laughs> right. but even if they just would have stuck with his his story 
Yeah. And, you know, then it would have been fine. But, like, the, the fact is, I couldn't give less of a shit about Dixie's character or Vera's character. Yeah. And, or, um, I hate to suddenly say it, but Dutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, oh, I got married. Here's my wife. Like, what? Yeah, well, that's why I said this is kind of like a low-rent version of what you get when you can't afford a Godfather story, so you get, like, mm -hmm. the knockoff story. It's kind of like Fredo was basically Cage, except a less interesting Fredo. It's a guy like, I don't give a fuck well, if the, he the dies. the Godfather also, you know, had a focus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it but had a lot I think more. It's just another example of Francis Ford Coppola trying to get in the, the relationship between brothers into his stories. Yeah. And yeah. then you have, like, the juxtaposition of the uh the black brothers and the white brothers and you know i mean yeah, you could have really done that. something with that but he didn't flesh any of this shit out yeah it's just kind of like little blurbs almost like when you're like hey remember these people played in this club and we're gonna show you these people it had a lot of mm -hmm. famous acts that came in but it's just kind of like referential it's not something they make a story out of but they kind of want to go that way it looks like and given the amount of problems they had that you mentioned with all the rewrites and the scripts it feels like that's what happened they're just like oh well, fuck it we filmed all this shit let's just put it together and make be, a movie um, and hope for the best we may be witnessing another issue that was common with the bloated early 80s historical epics which all lost money by the way <laughs> yeah is that um it's like uh a lot of those had original running times of like three or four hours and this movie yeah is it, the running time that we are getting is not long enough to sustain what is there and for all we know like this might actually make more sense in the three hour format oddly enough because it feels too long and short yeah yeah like like once upon yeah, a time in america was almost five hours in its original cut which is long but yeah, it's also yeah, it is, but it's one of those, it still can drag, it's just, it still holds your interest, but this thing was just so all over the place, I mean, even I was like, I'm gonna make my dinner, I'm gonna sit down and right. watch this, I made it like 40 minutes in, before I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna go play my guitar for a while, look at the screen, it's like, <laughs> the, the oh, this is still going hurry. on. You're never in the moment, you know, like, 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 like yeah. in Leone's films, you were always in the moment, you know, like, it's, it's gonna, it's oh, gonna yeah. push you yeah. directly into there. Like it's like like what the fuck's gonna happen? Some guy's gonna blow another guy away. Yeah, and that's well, kind of sad. You, once you like... start to like care about anything that's going on, then they switch over to another storyline. And sometimes yeah. it's really and... break no breakneck cuts too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But and it's just... that next thing you know, Lawrence Fishburne's character is like uh, giving a swirly to the the white dude. Yeah. At the Cotton Club, and it's like. Oh, what is happening? Also, uh, uh, um, uh, there's 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 the guy at the Cotton Club who gives uh who gives Gregory Hines grief from the moment he gets there. You know, it's like like you know like, yeah. like who, who hustles him down the stairs and like like threatens to chop his head off and all that yes. stuff. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get that dude. I don't remember his name right now. He's a character actor too. He makes a lot. He's he's in a lot of things. Um, and then but you get then, the guy like, in Dutch also... Schultz's crew who kind of looks like him, who kind of looks like a parody of Don Corleone. Right. They got like the same, like, same bloated, like hair streaked back, balding guy with a mustache. It's like, wait a minute, he's kicking yeah. himself out of the Cotton Club. <laughs> and he tells he tells Gregory Hines' character uh, Sandman to keep his hands off the merchandise, and it's like, but 
he's a performer there too why is he being such a douchebag to him like i i don't well and that, there's the happening? scene where where where, uh, where the lady's performing and gregory hines is is, is watching her and like the guys behind him yeah. it's like so is he just watching yes. gregory hines or was he watching the show too you know was he whipping it out a little like, bit right then yeah. <laughs> like i feel like if if they would have just focused on on you know uh the heinz brothers characters and lila and their whole storyline and maybe even uh lawrence fishburne's character then they could have kept this this big white douchebag in What's there and like actually <laughs> like i mean they could have done so much with that and you know said like made it a commentary on this is what they had to deal with every goddamn day well yeah i mean that's what's kind of sad is it's like in some films you can tell like we mentioned before about passion projects yeah. where it's mm -hmm. like if you have a regular film being made it's good to have a contrast of talented people talented people behind the scenes and people that will actually tell you hey maybe we shouldn't do this maybe we should do this instead because yeah. it's nice to have other people give their opinions to you to help improve something it's yeah. like and not to get too far off topic, but it's like with Star Wars, especially George Lucas's original cut sucked balls. Yeah, it's like but having agree. actual edits come in and music score added, it's like mm -hmm. things actually got tighter and better. But when you go into something like him making the prequels or someone else making a passion project, when you have everyone around you as a yes man and no one's telling you not to right. do this, it's a t potential to go overboard. But then you have something like this where it's you have talented people again you have all these people that respectively could have made something good but you have to pick and choose your battles as to what your vision is that you want to stick with and then because you say if you just wait keep a minute this kid everyone can't. yeah exactly it's like if you just keep fighting on this like no fuck you this has to happen this has to be here it's like you're just derailing yourself even further into a fucking trash pile to the point that by the time it's done, you literally are at a point where you're like, well, what can we salvage out of this? And well, like, and this I think that's the biggest like travesty in this whole movie is yeah. that uh, there were such tremendous performances and not just with the acting, but the, the dancing and a little uh, much the of the music. dancing. Yeah. Yeah, but I but I mean still like these people, these performers were fucking amazing. Oh yeah, they really were. But it was just such a shit shit script. Yeah. And like such shit decisions with the with the directing. Like there there was the one scene where uh what's her name? Frances, uh, Dutch's wife is filling out a crossword and they do a dramatic She just writes the word gangster. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do a dramatic. No, it was no, that, that montage was a parody of itself. <laughs> it, it's like when you write a whole My bunch notes. of exclamation points, then you put the number one, then you spell out the word one. <laughs> My yeah. notes were fucking really. <laughs> no, I mean it's not as bad as little. fucking yeah. King Kong and spelling out oh. Skull Island and dramatic slow motion as you're spelling it out for everyone, <laughs> but still. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, it, it's uh, a, it's such a pity. You know, the uh, the way that organized crime uh, dominated uh, Harlem in the twenties. I mean, even the Man of Steel can't get a percentage of the numbers because he's Irish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't yeah. want to hurt Frenchie. <laughs> we just we just wanted to cut him a little bit. You know. I, I mean, no, Apparently, that, that Fred Gwynn like wrote the, the scene what the where, uh, where where uh, where 
where Frenchie yes. is reunited with Bob Hoskins, and I'm like, I can see why Coppola wanted to cut this though. But, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I that was my favorite scene. It's like yes, just so fucking too. awesome that he broke his fucking watch and he yeah. had a new one for him. <laughs> like, you, you fucking guys, troll! I love this. I don't know about you guys, but I so fucking badly wanted them to make out. Oh, you get the same when they're peeing together. Like, kiss Kiss him. The first time Kiss I saw him. this, come on, go for The first time it. I saw we're this, we're gonna Bob shake Hoskins. the paint off these walls. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was worried that sick about was, you. That was the love interest that I was actually interested in. I was That's like, probably I like ninety percent of this, what was cut out of the I film. I found that really distracting, honestly. <laughs> when, when, I, when I first, I think I first watched this way the heck back with William in two thousand four. In Eric's apartment. You found it distracting because it was so fucking hot. <laughs> <laughs> the thought of Eddie Munster going at it with Mario Mario. The, the Cotton Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or excuse me, Herman Munster. <laughs> yeah. Bob Hoskins doesn't hot. need knee pads. <laughs> he doesn't go down that wrong. <laughs> you go down that wrong. <laughs> well, a man's cock is stonier. <laughs> but uh, hey, Richard Gere doesn't look like a fruit. Uh, he looks like a hamster. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting choice. I think I would so rather watch we, Mom uh, Boss than this movie. Oh my god, yeah. Our well, ba boss baby. It, what the fuck with the the final scene like it, where it's all of a sudden it's like oh wait we're we're gonna try to be like a Mega Broadway happy uh, stage ending performance musical bullshit yeah it, what the fuck the was whole that? movie is paying homage to thirties gangster movies and thirties gangster yeah. movies end with the main yeah. guy getting shot to death there's yeah, even a scene was, like at the end of the thing you had to 20s. show crime didn't pay it's like yeah. it's like Dixie Dwyer should have had a damn bullet in him. Yeah. For those of you who who uh, won't see it, don't good watch for it. You. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the final scene ends with just like they were trying to do a goddamn stage production because it's oh. it's at a, a train station, and they show um, the Sandman Gregory Hines's character going down the steps. He just got married to the love interest Lila. And uh, and then uh, Francis is walking by the the coffin of her deceased husband, the mobster um, uh, Dutch. And then there's uh, there's uh, Dixie Dwyer, Richard Gere's character, meeting up with uh, Vera Cicero at the train. Like they're gonna go off into their happy ending. Oh, and then there's their mom dancing for uh, stuff. She's just being a, the the average problematic white woman trying to show a a, a, a black girl how to dance. <laughs> Don't you know what their mom's going through? <laughs> She's like, no, that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, wait, wait, we're talking uh, about the, the, the wait, wait, the, the Dwyer mom. Uh, it, yes, it was played by Gwen Verdon, who was Lola in Damn Yankees. By the way, which I did love her in that. Yeah, only yeah. now she old. What, whatever Lola wants, yeah, she that's gets. right. <laughs> Pretty much. At least that's what I hear. <laughs> I so want we, uh... energy gear for my son. <laughs> so are we at our face-off point here? I think so. I've already off. said what I think would make it make it better. What do you guys uh, think? 
Oh yeah, wait. Adrian? Well, I mean, usually we try to recast Cage specifically. I think though. I mean, although I, I mean, like with all the with all the catastrophic potential re-edits of this film, like that character might just vanish anyway. Yeah, honestly, yeah, um, even though I kind of hate him, I honestly think going back to our previous movie that uh, Sean Penn actually could have done a lot better than Cage did in that oh, part. Oh yeah, oh hell yeah! As short as it was, he could have brought uh, a lot more intensity to it because Cage just came off like a whiny Sean Penn, little bitch. Sean who also actually looks Irish. <laughs> yeah, he could yeah, pull right. off like an Irish. It's like Irish. he could be. Yeah. yeah, he could be your Sonny Corleone. I mean, that's basically what the fucking thing was. We, we, but the only thing that can improve it is just not having made this at uh, all. Yeah, yeah. The, well, yes, I mean, like, yeah. Yes. The, back, back to the drawing board, guys. You know, don't, don't blow sixty million dollars yeah. when you don't know what kind of movie you're making. That's the thing, though. I can't say like I, I wouldn't recast it. I would just take out the fucking character altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, like you mentioned, make a, a miniseries out of it. I mean. Yeah, yeah, like you said, if you made a miniseries out of it, that could have done a lot better. At least that would have given people more time for their yeah. stories and actually focused on the fucking people that were performing they, at the Cotton Club. Why'd they give it to that Kennedy guy, though? If they were going to, for, for a rewrite, why didn't they just get a yield Doctora? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I don't well, know. You know a, 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 they, speaking of much better movies from the from the time period, though, uh, Bob Hoskins, mm. uh, you know, uh, actually playing British, uh, in 1980, uh, did did a British gangster movie called The Long Good Friday, which is like one of the best gangster mm. movies ever made. True. We'll see that one instead. Well, <laughs> if you really want to see uh, this kind of musical movie with um with the organized crime and whatnot and richard gear i would say just fucking watch chicago and if you don't i mean chicago's got the queen <laughs> queen latifah and if you if it's got too much music for you then i'd say just fucking watch the it untouchables yeah, or watch Trashy Lady because it really is a wonderful golden era or porn film, lady. and I have to highly recommend it. And it's it. worth the money because it's got the money shots. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if, if Richard Gere oh, had just nutted Lord. on Diane Lane, this would have been so much better. You know, they probably cut that out again with about 90% of movie part three of this. <laughs> I want realism. I want you to fuck her on the table. It really blows that horn. Method acting. Yeah, now that you're done fucking, start beating the shit out of her again. <laughs> I said that plays real well. Some people don't like me. <laughs> wisdom kg wisdom uh probably uh don't shoot kids and do random kidnapping yeah, yeah don't hurt the french bad, it's, it's bad optics yeah. it's just bad optics i'd say at the beginning of the movie he he would have said that when you have the opportunity to get what you want seize it and leverage your opportunities friends and family and i feel like that's kind of what cage did in this this film and maybe you don't use the n-word that much <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he is playing a lot of racist in these early films. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, no, we just come off him in another historical film uh, using the J word, and now it's uh, quite, quite, quite the N word. Quite, quite the very N word. Yeah. Quite a bit of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. He's like N word G. Robinson. 
I did kind of like the uh, the scene where where uh, James Remar, uh, the um, uh, Dutch, says that uh, he calls them mix, and they kind of look at each other. Him and, and Richard Gere kind of look at each other like, what? And I was thinking that's exactly how I feel. Like, wait, they're supposed to be Irish? Richard Gere on the Lucky Charms box. I were acting in that moment. <laughs> I think it was a legitimate, like, oh, wait, we're Irish. Yeah, that's right. Was Richard Shit. Gere acting in anything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were both like, wait, we're Irish? I was like, oh my god, we're rolling? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Shit, okay, yeah, let's do it again. Fuck, I didn't get that script. That just happened. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I know I'm Irish, but I see myself more as Italian Irish. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're right next door. There's so much crossover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um... All right, I guess it's time to say that, uh, please, 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 uh, help us out. Listen, follow, rate, and review Cage's Kiss on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, um, and on uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. Uh, we're just starting out, and we could really, really use your help. And um, uh, while I'm at it, remember you can find Cage's Kiss on Facebook and on Twitter at Cage's Kiss. You can visit our website at cageskiss.com and you can write us at cageskiss at gmail.com. Please, we want to hear your stories of Cage out in the wild. Your, uh, <laughs> and that too. <laughs> your <sighs> demons. <laughs> Let's <laughs> watch this again. <laughs> oh, God damn it. I fucking hate you. You're going you to find me in a case right quick if I'm going to watch this again. Yeah. We want to hear your thoughts. I'm very if you have any situations, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you have any situations, you can use some cagey wisdom uh, with. Uh, let us know. Of course, Cage's Kiss is without the apostrophe on all of these things. Donnie, what you got? I Besides got about. Uh, I'm about and demons. three bottles down now, and I uh, I got a lot of hopes and dreams. All right. Uh, you can mm. find me on Twitter under unreal goals though again you really shouldn't i'm not really a socialite but if you want to look for me on instagram look up stillgar the tweedlick and i'm not even going to try telling you how that's spelled because well make it a mystery look it up for yourselves you fucking nerd <laughs> and as always you're you the can... one that made us watch this and shit, as always so you made us watch this shit you <laughs> and i'm still adrian you can find me as leo the fox all run together all lowercase on DeviantArt, where you can see my thousands upon thousands of ill-advised artworks you can it's really find me on uh, youtube uh, under aa smith i've recently gone through my wall of shame of books and uh go and support me on patreon because i need your damn money Furthermore, when a highbrow meets a lowbrow uh, walking along Broadway, uh, soon the highbrow he has no brow. Oh. Ain't it a shame? It what is. just happened? <laughs> that, that just happened. <laughs> All right, my chuds. We'll see you next week with Birdie. I'm the tough guy now. Yeah. I'm going to get blackout drunk. This is your cage. Kiss off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Give us a ride.